Hello and welcome to the Society for Acute Medicine's podcast. Here we discuss topics, cases and anything new and upcoming in the world of acute medicine. This is our view and take. Remember to always do your own reading around the topics we discuss. Enjoy! Well, welcome to our first episode. And to begin with, we have Damien. He's going to be talking about a case that changed his practice. Um, within this episode, we're going to have uh, our few of our regulars here that are going to um, offer some views and have a little bit of discussion about certain points. Um, so if we want to have a quick round, uh, we've got Vicky. Hello. Oh, I can't wait to grill Damien. This is going to be fun. Mike. Good evening, everyone. Peter. Hi, Simon. You all right? All right, Karen. And of course, Damien, who we look forward to hearing. Um, so I think uh, without any delay, we're going to go straight over to Damien now to hear about uh, this major event. Thanks, Simon. So I am going to talk a wee bit quickly about a clinical case that I saw Um it's not going to be about the medicine, the investigations, the the treatment. It's not, it's not going to go around that. It's about the way I dealt with it. And um, I'm going to ask all of you as well that are on, on, on the call to see how you would have dealt with it. Because um, I am a fairly, very, very, very new consultant, a baby consultant. Um, but for the past three months, I did an acting up at the Royal Liverpool Hospital with some great colleagues. And I started doing my own ward rounds with the juniors and the ANPs. And one of the cases that I had was a lady who was in her 60s. She had come in over the weekend with a chest pain and a collapse episode. Happened to be discharged home over the weekend, but came back in again on the Monday um, with further chest pain. And at this stage, her oxygen levels were low. Um, she was hypoxic. So I had seen her the next morning on the ward round. She was sitting up in bed. She looked really well. She didn't have much chest pain. Um, she wasn't that short of breath. She was hypoxic and um, requiring a bit of oxygen. So obviously the team from overnight um, the ones that admitted her were thinking and going down the route of a PE and I thought okay that's that's a good idea so because collapse episode over the weekend some chest pain um some shortness of breath and she had a positive d-dimer as well quite quite a significant positive d-dimer and she was requiring oxygen so and chest x-ray was clear it wasn't that dreaded thing of COVID. She had a negative COVID swab. So we sent her for a CTPA. I finished my ward round. And then in the afternoon, I was doing another ward round. So I was in any away from the ward. And obviously, as everyone up and down the country knows, all ANEs are busy now, full of medical patients. So I had had a lot on my on my hands and any at that stage and on my wardrobe that morning it was an ANP who is amazing and I I knew she was capable however whenever she came to me to tell me that the CTPA results had been done and the result was back 
and it didn't show a PE, it showed an evolving aortic dissection, um, which took me by surprise. Um, it had said it had got down as far as the, the kidneys and taken off one of the one of the um one of the vessels in the kidneys as well, one of the, one of the renal arteries. Which to me this it wasn't the first time I've seen an aortic dissection, but it was the first time I was the consultant with a patient with aortic dissection. And I knew I had to sort this out, but I also knew I had to crack on with my wardrobe and see the patients in AE. And it's what I wanted to chat about today was how how we deal with that situation, how we know to to leave our say AMPs or our fairly junior um, medical team to deal with quite an unwell patient, um, and who who how it's it's learning to walk away from that, but at the same time being there, um, but also not taking up your whole afternoon with the one patient. And it, it I found it quite difficult because although I went off to see another patient, I kept coming back and being like, have we done the echo? Have we discussed it with um, the cardiothoracic teams? Have we managed to get the the, the CT angio, um, the CT aorta? Um, have we done all these different things? Is the patient okay? What's her blood pressure like? Um, and then it's, it's discussing it with the patient, discussing it with the family, and having chatted with the um, ANP, she knew she knew what had to be done, but she had never dealt with these things before either. Um, so she was quite, and I could see it in her face. She was she was like, "Oh, I've never discussed this with Liverpool Heart and Chest before. What do I say?" So what 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 I did, I got one of our great um, registrar colleagues as well, who who popped along. I said, "Do you mind helping me out here, supporting um, the AHP?" Um, or sorry, the MP, sorry, to 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 get this patient sorted, and the, and the patient was was fine. She was um, swept across to um, the the chest, um, the thoracic um, hospital, um, and 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 she was fine. Um, but it was that. What I want to talk about is that. How do you how do you how do you move on? How do you do? You, how long do you stay with patients for? As a, as a brand new consultant. And I know all of you here are consultants, some longer than others. And I just wanted to, I wanted to chat to you about how, and, and let our listeners, um, if they're, because there's new consultants all the time, how, how do they deal with these things? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it open now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, see who's, who's got words of wisdom, pearls of wisdom for me. Well, I wouldn't say I've got pills of wisdom, but uh, I am also... <laughs> Thanks, Damien. Um, yeah, I'm also a relatively new consultant, and I do remember when, even I mean, even now, but especially when I first started as a consultant, um, doing those ward rounds, seeing those sick patients, and having to carry on the ward round, um, and trust in colleagues to get things done um, and it's difficult when you've been recently very recently been a registrar for five plus years because you would be the person who would stick with that sickie sort them out and make sure that the patient was safe and got things done and when you're a consultant as yeah that, that shift does change you have the responsibility that uh, it need things need to get done but you also have the rest of your ward round to get cracking on with um, and I, I suppose it largely depends on your team and having trustworthy colleagues with you and I, I'm 
I think I'm getting better at it. Um, but I'm, I'm still learning as I go. I'm sure uh, our other colleagues might have something to add to that. So the, the ANP that was with me, and I know, I know she'll be listening, um, and she is amazing, and I would trust her with my own life. And I had, no, I, had no, I had no doubt that she would be able to deal with this patient, but I didn't also want to like just leave it with her. I'd, it's, 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 that, it's that feeling that I was just going to leave this really sick patient just with one person. And having been in the reg for the past five years, and as, as Peter says, you're the one that, that sorts this patient out and you deal with it. And and it's it's learning. It's You would never, as a, as a reg, have left it just with an, an F1 or um, one of the SHOs. You would have dealt with it yourself. Um, and it's just, it's, it just felt a bit strange and a bit odd um, to be in, in a different in a different role, in a different position. Um, and it, yeah, I just wanted to see what everyone else thinks. Go for it, Vicky. So, so I obviously can't remember what it was like before being a consultant because I'm so old, as you keep pointing out. Um, but so a few things struck me and, and it was the way that you actually so eloquently just said I was the consultant. And it's that moment I actually can remember that um, that feeling, which is, oh, oh, God, it's me. You know, it's me. I The book stops here. I am the most senior person and and how I do that. And then the other thing you sort of said is you kept coming back. So you knew you had to leave, but then you kept coming back and then. Oh, have we done this? Have we done that? So I'm going to do a slightly different spin because I've got a question for you, which may or may not impact this. But it's it's when I struggle most with these situations. It's when was there an element of the fact that you hadn't expected that was the diagnosis? So if you'd have done the CT looking for an aortic aneurysm, do you think you'd have been feeling the same way? Or do you think it was the fact that you did the CT looking for a PE? And was there an element you were thinking in the back of your head, I should have thought about this, I miss this? Because I spend my entire life with imposter syndrome. And when something like that happens, it sometimes impedes my train of thought. Because as well as thinking about all the things I need to be doing, I'm also thinking, oh, I'm such a dreadful person, I miss this, I should have been thinking about that. And that hampers my train of thought as well as all the other things that I'm trying to process. So I'm just curious if that has an impact on you. That's actually quite interesting because as soon as um as soon as said AMP came to me and said, Oh my god, she's got an aortic dissection, I went, No, no, she doesn't. She she looks well. She like she was discharged home the other day, she's just come back in. Like, no, everything's fine, blood pressure, heart rate's fine. Um, no. And then Knowing that she obviously wasn't lying to me, but at the same time, I went, how do we look at the scan and, and seen the obvious aortic dissection myself? Um, it, I, I went, ah, <laughs> what, what, how, how did I miss this? And it, yeah, you're right. It, it is that um, you do doubt yourself a bit. Um, you said, oh, I've made a wrong diagnosis. Um Okay, I've done an investigation, but what what if that lady hadn't have been an oxygen? What if her um what if we didn't do a D-dimer? Um what what if I had just decided to send her home because we hadn't have done these things? Um and although th- thankfully the, the different investigations had been done and her story surprisingly it did sound very much like a PE. And um it is that a lot of a lot of um 
a different um a lot of different presentations could be a lot of different conditions and it is that hindsight thing where um it's great whenever you've got a uh, an investigation and you know you know what it is and i think that's what a lot of a lot of our gp colleagues and a lot of our front door any colleagues that they, they don't always have that ct and scan in, in hand they don't always have those results so it is it is that um, decision making after after having it so yeah yeah i i agree it, it probably was an element of that yeah Mike, what what do you think? Would you have done? How would you how would you deal with that when you're working? I think these things are still difficult even now. You know, yes, I'm six years in as a consultant, and there are still days where there's a really sick patient, or you know, sometimes they're obvious that they're sick, or sometimes it's an investigation that throws a complete curveball, as it did in this circumstance, that that then suddenly needs a hell of a lot of action in. It's really difficult because you are torn between that one patient and getting that one patient sorted because your name's above the bed for want of a better description against the 15 patients or however many uh, that haven't actually even met a consultant yet and they're unknown entities and and how do you balance those needs and I think it's a fundamental challenge daily for every acute physician and I think it helps when you've been in the job a bit longer partly because half of the team that's on a particular unit you know well you thankfully had probably worked there before and so you knew the AMP and you knew her capabilities. You know, we're in new doctor season as we record this and so a lot of the registrars on call are potentially much less known entities to us. It's a lot more tougher at this time of year to just walk away. I do much more phone calls myself at this time of year than I probably do in July. Um, And I think some of it's about knowing who those individuals are. Have they worn that T-shirt in that situation before and you knew this AMP? P was very capable but hadn't experienced this particular situation before so actually did need a bit more support from you and that sounds entirely appropriate whereas you might get another situation that if it had been the day before you were acting up and actually Vicky saw this patient and you were the registrar standing on the unit well Vicky would have left you to it and would have been very easy to leave you to it because she knows you she knows your capability um, and you'd probably worn that t-shirt or at least knew you could deal with it so I think Every situation is different. Every case is different. And sometimes, you know, that that retrospect escape of why did I miss that is a factor. And I think that's a very valid point that Vicky makes. But I think you make a call on the day about that particular patient. And I can remember patients that I've spent hours, despite ideally doing other work as the consultant, because it's just felt that that's where I've needed to be um, and left my consultant colleagues in the department picking up other pieces um and there's other days where i've been able to kind of know that the individual that i've got looking after that patient however actually the junior they might be but their capability is is solid and i can step back from that and they'll shout if they need me type territory so there's no right answer and i think you have to go with i can't describe it better than your gut but you know i always joke with the juniors i've worn the t-shirt a few thousand times now um and some of that is just that experience and having been in difficult situations before and so yes you're a new consultant but you've been in a keep medical registrar for a number of years and seen a lot of stuff so so your gut is still important and valid and, and going with that is entirely right in my view yeah so 
It's, it's, I, I think as Vicky said it earlier, um, especially this past week, um, where I've, I've recently started a new hospital and uh, as you say, new new doctor season, um, new juniors. Um, it's that imposter syndrome, and and I think a lot of new new registrars, new new consultants. I'm I'm sure they can all they can all feel that and feel that they're still. I still have to think when I'm doing the post takes that d- don't just look at. The new people that need to be seen, I, I still look at that list and I'm like, oh, oh no, wait, hold on. I need to see all these post-take ones. And first of all, before I start thinking about all these new ones, and it's, it's, it is that imposter syndrome. I still think like a reg. Um, it's, it, it, it does, it is quite hard to get away from. Um, and I, I'd like to think I, I don't, I, I'd like to think I will still do that. Um, and, and um, I'm sure having worked with some great um, consultants, um, some in this call as well, um, that it, it, it is, it is something that I, I do see and I have seen a lot. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that's, that's my case. Um, so Simon, I'll let you I let I let you finish off. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, um, I just add my bit, I, you know, in there before we close it down. As I think, um, imposter syndrome is something that we all um, face all the the time in different scenarios, and and I and I think you know just simply. Um, you know, things change from day to day depending on how tired you are, uh, what other stresses are happening with your life. And these are the things that you always recognise and it's always going to creep back from there. Um, and, and I think the big change when you come into a consultancy is that ownership and, and that that kind of feeling that actually whatever happens to that patient is is actually a responsibility no matter whether someone else does it and i think that's that transition when you're a reg you, you kind of still don't have that full ownership and something does go wrong you've got that backstop and, and i think when you change that over and so it changes perceived risk um and so sometimes that kind of what, what you're seeing what your risk is is changed because it's also a personal attribute i don't think we always recognize there's that own risk uh, as well and an exposure um that can can shake you and your, your your judgments um but as mike said um uh i think uh, one of the big things about being a, co- a consultant is um being able to assess the capacity of the person you're working with um, and you, I think all, one of the challenges I have all day is, is just thinking actually, how good is this person's judgment? What's their ability to pick up these signs? And the cost of variability could be that they're absolutely bloody amazing at cardiology, but, um, appalling, at you know, endocrine. And, and so they can give you one great history assessment and plan. And then the next case you go, you build some trust and, you know, you have that variation. And then I think you've got to be able to be sharp and pick up what they can do and what goes through. And, and that's actually, I think most of the day I, I'm trying to also manage that person's ability and, and how much I therefore need to check in it. And I think the other thing is that actually 
I, I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a cute medic and I really like managing really sick people and uh, people needs. And actually, sometimes I just go back because actually I want to do it. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I, I won't lie. And, and I think anybody that knows with me, if there's someone that's really sick, it's really hard to keep me away, especially if I've got an ultrasound in my hand and <laughs> something like that. There's a lot of additional information probably people didn't really need <laughs> to make the judgment, but we're going to have it anyway um, for myself. So uh, I, I think it's a, you know, the, the big thing of going through is I think as time progresses, you find your own uh, kind of vibe. But uh, I don't think it's, um, I think it's really great that you're able to emit that kind of uh, vulnerability um, there, because I think in, in, you know, lots of people don't do that. So I guess um, uh, any points before any any other bits before we wrap up? Oh, got a mass craze. Of, of course, Vicky has something to say. Um, uh, so uh, we'll maybe go Vicky um, and then uh, and then Damien, and then we'll wrap up. So I've got some top tips. I think. So I think. The key here is this could have been 1st of August, you're a new consultant, you don't know your junior, you've got a sick patient, but you've also got a load of patients to see. So I'd break it down and, and I'd make it really easy for the junior. So what do you actually want them to do? And that and just sort of a, a task list almost. So these are what you need to do. And also this is the order that you need to do it in. And, and that's really useful if you've either got a junior that's struggling or one you don't know. And in the worst case scenario, you might be teaching a very good junior how to suck eggs, but best case scenario, you've got a plan. And then they also report back to you at each stage. And if they're going to phone someone, get them to phone them in the same area that you're in. So make the phone call while you're seeing people in majors or whatever. So and then you just say, look, if they're being an idiot, just come and get me. So it's the same as when somebody's phoning radiology or whatever. Um, just come and get me. Um, if if if, it, if this is an issue, so you're breaking it down into bite-sized chunks. So okay, we've got a patient. This is, and it helps your train of thought as well, especially if it's caught you on the hoof, right? Okay, so first of all, how's the patient? And then second of all, you need to do this, and then you need to do this, and then you need to check in with me and tell me what this has done, and then we need to do this, this, and this, and then yeah, sometimes I agree with Simon. I just want to get in there and sort it out. But other times you can't. Um, so for me, it's the telling the family bit. I quite like doing that. I, I like to be the person because I want that to be done well. Um, so less keen on the ultrasound bit because I wouldn't know one end from the other. But that's my top tip is break it down. And then you know that the junior knows exactly what to do. And you've 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 covered the basis even with a struggling junior. And that's what I tend to do on ward rounds when I've got a junior that's struggling. At the end of the ward round, I'm like, right. These are the sick patients. These are the jobs you need to do first. And I want you to meet me and tell me when you've done these things so that we can discuss it. Probably sounding slightly less bossy, I hope, but probably not in reality. Knowing you, Vicky, it is bossy. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I am, I, when you were saying that, I am thinking about, like, doing that tomorrow morning in my ward rounds um but i do i do feel these f1s these days seem to be 10 times better than i ever was as an f1 so and, and i've managed to become a consultant so i think like molding molding these f1s um is isn't gonna be an issue um and molding junior doctors um isn't 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 a particular issue but i i agree there there is variability among junior doctors um but it's it's 
being there to support them. Um, they they have managed to get through medical school. They're they're all extremely intelligent. So it's it's the support and it's a new job and it is scary. Um, and being an F one. So yeah, I, I, I like the the I like that plan that you've just made. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that, Vicky. Um, but yeah, thanks everyone for that. That's that was a great case. Modesty, Dr. Dewey, modesty. I, I meant I meant for, for us all talking about it, <laughs> not, not just me. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Society for Acute Medicine podcast. We hope this episode has been interesting and helpful for you all. Please do go to the SAM website at www.acutemedicine.org.uk for all things acute medicine, including show notes from today's episode under the education menu. You will also find more info about acute medicine, the team and how to contact us individually. Please do get in touch with us via Twitter using at AcuteMedPod and let us know what you thought, as well as topics you'd love to see us explore in future episodes or if you'd like to just get involved. Thanks again for listening and we hope you join us next time.